This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. It was the year 1936, and a teacher from a school in the UK organised to take a group of students on a trip to Germany. The highlight of the trip would be a hike along walking trails through a popular mountain range. This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called Black Forest. The school students went on a mountain hike. What happened? The Strand School was a boys' grammar school in the south of London in the UK. During the Easter break of 1936, a teacher at the school, Kenneth Keast, organised to take 27 boys on a 10-day trip to Germany. The boys ranged in age between 12 and 17. The teacher planned for the boys to go on a hike through the Black Forest, which was a mountainous region in southwest Germany, bordering France. The area was known for its dense evergreen forests and had become a popular tourist destination. Kenneth Keast was the only teacher on the trip and was an avid sportsman, mountain climber and skier. He had been a student at the Strand School himself and became the school's head boy and was also captain of the soccer and cricket teams. After graduating, he gained a scholarship to the King's College in Cambridge where he attained a master's degree. He first taught at a German private school and then went on to teach at his former school teaching the subjects of English, German, history and sports. The group arrived in Germany on April the 16th, 1936 and stayed at a youth hostel in the town of Freiburg. The next day they began a hike from Freiburg to another youth hostel in the village of Totenberg, which would see them travel a distance of 20 kilometres while ascending up a mountain called Schauinsland. This mountain had an altitude of 1,200 metres and was one of the highest mountains in the Black Forest. The day before the hike, it had been a warm 17 degrees, but the forecast predicted a change in the weather with considerable snow to fall. The local newspaper reported, surprising onset of winter in the Black Forest. Keast was advised against taking the hike to which he replied, the English are used to sudden changes in the weather. On the morning of the hike, he was again advised by the hostel manager, who was an experienced climber, not to proceed with the hike. But Keast was still keen to go. He was then told to at least use the cleared road and not the snow-covered hiking trails. The group then set off at 9am. Within less than an hour, they appeared to be lost and Keast stopped at an inn asking for directions. The landlady advised the group not to continue as the paths and signposts were already covered in snow. Keast seemed quite nonchalant, saying that they would just brush the snow off. Despite all the advice, they continued on, and the depth of the snow started getting deeper and deeper, making their progress slow going. They lost their way a few more times due to paths being obscured and it also didn't help that the map 
Keast was using wasn't very detailed. At around 3pm, the group came across some forest workers who were forced to stop working due to the conditions. They strongly advised them not to continue and pointed out a pathway which would take them back down the mountain. However, again they continued on. Not long after, they met a local postman who warned them against continuing the ascent up the mountain. He offered to take them back to Freiburg or to take shelter at a miners' hostel nearby, but Keist declined the offer. The boys were getting increasingly fatigued and complained of being cold, but Keist thought it best that they keep going towards the next village of Hofsgrund. The map he was using failed to show that the next part of the journey would be the steepest, and they were soon faced with a 600-metre hike with a 70% gradient. The steep climb took its toll on the first boy, Jack Alexander Eaton. He was the school's 14-year-old boxing champion. They were all forced to stop and rest for a while, but then soon continued. Within a short time, two more boys got into difficulty and had to be carried along with Jack. Then nightfall descended on the group, and they continued to struggle more and more the further they went. So they had the cold, the steep incline, and the dark to have to contend with. But then at around 7pm, they heard the sound of church bells. It was coming from the village of Hofsgrund, which they had been attempting to reach. Keist decided to send two of the older boys to follow the direction of the bells and ask for help. The boys took an hour to reach a farmstead, knocking on the door and being greeted by a man named Eugene Schweitzer. Here is his account. Suddenly, we heard young boys stomping loudly against the farm in the deep snow. Immediately, Mr. and Mrs. Lorenz went to the front door to speak to them. At first, they got no answer at all, as the young people only spoke English. When the shopkeeper noticed that the boys looked very exhausted, he gave them soda and coffee to drink. When asked where they came from, one of them answered, Schauinsland. Two men are sick on the mountain. There are 28 men together. Mr. and Mrs. Lorenz asked me to take the boys to the Zumhof Inn. I buckled on my skis and went ahead of the 15 or so boys. Two more were added, who sought rescue in another farmhouse, but had not found the owners. Now you could hear the cries for help from those who remained on the mountain, which got louder and louder and went through the marrow and bone. So a group of local men on skis and sledges headed off in the dark looking for the hikers. By this time, the group were no longer together and they found some of the boys collapsed and almost entirely covered in snow. The men started finding boys, some together, others all on their own, and they were carried back down to the village. Some of the boys somehow managed to find their own way down into the village. One of the men eventually found Keist, who had two unconscious boys with him. They were carried down in a sledge, and by around 11pm, all of the group had been taken to safety. They removed their wet clothes, massaging the boys to get their circulation going, and placed them near fireplaces and stoves to warm them up. But despite their efforts, by the end of the night, four of the boys had died. Two others were taken to hospital, where another boy died the next day. 
The teacher was interviewed by a newspaper, and here is his account of the ordeal. We started from Freiburg at 9am. There was no snow on the streets when we left. At 9.45, we were in Guntersburg, and ordinarily, in another two hours, should have been at our destination, where I knew there would be a hotel. To be on the safe side, I reckoned with three hours, taking into account that the younger boys would not be able to walk so fast. When we got up the first two or three slopes, we encountered a heavy snowstorm. It must have been around 12.30 that we saw a signboard, and after wiping off the snow, saw that we had another three kilometres to go to the summit. This should not have taken us a long time. People we met confirmed that the summit was not very far. Actually, it took us two and a half hours owing to the weather. I thought it would be wiser to go on instead of turning back. I thought there would be a hut. When we got to the crown of the hill, fog enveloped us, and we could not see anything, not even the hut or hotel, which was to have been in the neighbourhood. I could not stay there with my party of boys in that fog, with night coming on fast. It was getting on towards five in the afternoon, and I had to get them out of the cold and the wind. I found the village of Hofsgrund on my left and took a compass bearing and headed for it. About halfway down, some of the boys collapsed. I did everything to help them. I carried them as far as I could, but it was not easy when the snow comes up to your waist at every step. So I sent 17 of the boys onto the village and stayed with four of the exhausted boys. I tried artificial respiration and everything that could help them. None of the boys froze to death. They died from exhaustion. An hour and a half later, the boys I had sent ahead and villagers came with sledges and took us to the village. The people in the village were marvellous. I think all of us who survived were lucky to be alive. Nobody in England can have any idea what that snowstorm was like. We got up onto the crest of the mountain but could see nothing, neither ways nor signposts, where the mountain began or where it ended. It was impossible to see either one way or the other. We had to go for a time by compass until we found a way where the signposts were clear. Then we made again for the crown of the hill and then over into the sheltered side of it, in what seemed to be the direction of the nearest village. We reached it, but unfortunately too late. If you can imagine stepping into snow up to your waist and trying to bring along already exhausted boys, you will see the difficulty. There is no comparison to any snowstorms that you ever get in England. The boys were all magnificent. They all tried to carry on, especially the bigger ones, who helped the others. Five of them in particular, when we were on the last ledge, helped to carry those who were exhausted. And now, Listen to one of the boys recounting what happened. Mr. Keith did everything he could for us. When the storm raged on the ridge of the mountains and everyone was trying to grope his way through to some place to shelter, Mr. Keith carried several of the smaller boys again and again over and through the snow. Sometimes the snow came up to our chests. We could not see more than two or three yards ahead of us and all the time the fearful hurricane was howling over our heads. It seemed to go on for hours. We had taken sandwiches, 
along for our lunch and we were glad we had them, I can tell you. At one time, we never thought we were going to reach safety. When some of the smaller boys became weak and collapsed, Mr. Keast and one or two of the bigger boys stood up and guarded them while we worked our way step by step through the deep snow towards the direction of the village. It was now pitch dark and we had no other guide but the dim light of a farmhouse which we saw in front of us. At last we reached the house. The villagers heard our cries and came out at once. Directly we told them what had happened. They started off with sledges and went back to the place where Mr. Keast and the other boys were waiting in the snow beside the boys who had collapsed. The villagers did splendid work. We certainly owe our lives to those kind people. Now, as we saw, there had been numerous warnings given to the teacher not to proceed with the hike. And what made it more unbelievable is that they were so unprepared in terms of what they were wearing, which was only light shorts and shoes, and they had none of the gear necessary for hiking through snowy mountains. And the only food taken was a small amount of bread and one orange for each boy. And even more astonishing, at various points in the hike, they were trying to get through snow, which was waist deep. So, what did the teacher have to say about the whole ordeal? You can imagine that he came under heavy scrutiny from the authorities and the press. Back in England, an investigation was conducted by the London Schools Council. The teacher described what happened to be a result of an unpredictable natural disaster, saying that he had expected mild spring weather. We know this not to be true, as the worsening conditions had been expected. On the morning of the walk, the weather station reported a temperature of 3 degrees Celsius, fog and snowfall of about 12 centimetres. Keast had not tried to access this information and on that morning the boys themselves were having snowball fights. So they clearly saw the snow that had already fallen. The German newspapers described the snowstorm as the worst in 40 years. So it seems that Keist's decisions and actions were vindicated. He said that as soon as the weather deteriorated, he did his best to get the boys to safety. He also claimed that the route he had planned was usually a short day trip, but this was not actually the case. It was also found that the map he had used was totally inadequate. He got the map in London from the company that organised the trip who were called the School Travel Service. The map didn't show the terrain, only the distances. So when Keist noted on the map that their destination was a certain distance, this was correct, but the terrain and the gradient was not shown. The map only had a scale of 1 to 100,000, and as they hiked, the slope became more and more acute. There had been detailed maps available from the Black Forest Association, but for whatever reason, Keast did not access these. After considering all the evidence, Keast was acquitted of any wrongdoing and resumed his duties at the school. However, another school trip which Keast had planned to Austria was subsequently cancelled. He went on to teach at other schools and even became principal 
at three renowned private schools. He died at the age of 63, and there doesn't appear to be any record of whether he regretted the fateful mistakes that caused the deaths of the boys in his care. But this story is far from over. So the tragedy happened in 1936, and at that time the relations between Britain and Germany had become tense since Hitler had come to power. So the Black Forest incident was perceived as a way for Germany to gain political capital. Britain's ambassador to Germany was sent a telegraph from the leader of the Hitler Youth Movement. The telegraph stated that the German youth would place a wreath on each of the boys' coffins to signal their deepest sympathy and that they would stand guard over the coffins until they were able to be transported back to Britain. The newspapers at the time, both in Britain and Germany, showed photos on their front pages of the Hitler Youth from the town of Freiburg where the tragedy took place. The boys kept vigil over the coffins and Schwastikers and Union Jacks could be seen side by side in the background. The local Hitler Youth leader gave a speech where he spoke of the, quote, will of understanding and peace between the German and English comrades. A procession was also arranged as the coffins made their way to the local train station, looked on by the Hitler Youth and the Union of German Girls, as well as local schoolchildren. Many people lined the train route, watching as the boys made their way back home. Some of the boys' parents even sent letters to Hitler thanking him for everything he had done to honour their boys. Now, it was also stated that the Hitler Youth had helped in the rescue of the boys, which they hadn't. A press release by the Reich's Youth also stated, quote, that the dead had fallen in battle so as to further the open, honest friendship between nations. Even the mayor of Freiburg wrote to a father of one of the deceased boys saying, quote, that he had been sacrificed so as to become standard bearers for the important aspects of understanding between our two great nations. Now, the town where this happened was not a Nazi stronghold, but they had other reasons for going along with the propaganda. They didn't want the tragedy to ruin the tourist industry, as the Black Forest was popular with British tourists and school groups. The train that carried the boys' coffins arrived in London and was met by a large crowd. The coffins themselves had been made from the timber from the Black Forest and there were floral tributes and pinecone wreaths from the forest as well, which I thought was a very lovely touch as there was nothing else nice about this story. But I was then saddened to hear that there were also scarlet and white ribbons bearing the swastika with an inscription which said to our English comrades. There were also wreaths from Hitler and the British ambassador. While the boys were returning to Britain, Keist remained in Germany for a short time as a guest of the Hitler Youth. A local newspaper showed a photo of him in an open-top car with the leader of the Hitler Youth and also a representative of the Gestapo, the Nazi state police. Keist also wrote a letter to the people who helped rescue the group 
which was published in a local newspaper. It said, We can never forget the superhuman efforts of the people of Hofsgrund, who did everything to bring us to safety, and this has brought nearer to us the country which previously had been estranged. The fathers of one of the deceased boys, Jack Eaton, decided to travel to Freiburg and find out what he could about the tragedy. He spoke to some of the rescuers and the people who had warned the group not to proceed. He then put his findings together in a report entitled Black Forest Tragedy, The Truth, which was given to politicians and newspapers. He wrote, I am determined to fight on to the bitter end on behalf of my boy who was everything to me, as well as for the other little heroes who should have been with us today and for many years to come. He also pushed for a full public inquiry. He concluded that had it not been for the church bells, he believed that they all would have perished. Of the teacher Keast, he said, certainly not fit to take 27 boys from the school to Clapham Common, let alone on such a journey to a foreign country. He also said that Keast was known for his open dislike for Germans and that it would have been degrading for him to accept advice from a German about aborting the trip. After the tragedy, there was talk about erecting a memorial and the head of the local Hitler youth commissioned an artist to come up with a design. The completed memorial was built on the mountain, about 800 metres above the village of Hofsgrund, where the boys had been rescued. It was made of black forest granite and was a towering gateway which was made up of two huge upright stones. Another stone sat on top and showed the Nazi eagle and swastika. It was inscribed with the boys' names. The monument was due to be unveiled in the presence of a member of the British royal family, the British ambassador and Sir Robert Baden-Powell, who was the head of the scout movement in the UK. Again, this was an opportunity to affirm the British-German friendship. The inscription on the monument said, The youth of Adolf Hitler honours the memory of these English sporting comrades with this memorial. However, due to ongoing political tensions, the unveiling of the monument did not go ahead. In 1939, Britain declared war on Germany and there were calls to tear the monument down. Jack's father then commissioned for a new memorial a simple grey granite cross resembling a gravestone which the villagers paid for. And amazingly, it still stands on the very spot where three of the boys died. It's 500 metres away from the other monument and much smaller, but its beauty lies in its simplicity and the way it is positioned on the mountain facing the village. Although Jack's father pushed for a thorough inquiry, it seems that this was ignored by both Britain and Germany due to the delicate political climate at the time. And as we saw, the school itself quickly absolved Keist of any wrongdoing as it was in their own interest to do so. Otherwise, they would be put in a position of trying to defend themselves about how poorly planned the trip was. Questions would have been asked of the school about how approval had been given for only one teacher to accompany the group. Basically, 
The school's official statement read, quote, that arrangements for future tours should be most carefully and exhaustively reviewed in the hope of rendering impossible so far as lies in human power that any occurrence of such a tragedy. Jack's father would not let up, often appearing at the school and confronting the teacher and the principal, saying, Damn you, and a thousand times damn the pair of you cowards and those you are sheltering. He continued to hound the teacher, even going to his house. Keast said, If I should be accosted by Eton this weekend, I shall almost certainly assault him, and I believe if I murdered him, it really would be the best end to this miserable business. Eaton also sent a postcard to a local military officer in red ink, saying, As one army war veteran to another, I implore you to see that justice is done. Keast is a criminal and should be tried as such. He even erected a plaque outside his business which said, I charge Keast with my son's death. Also, on his son's birthday, he left a wreath on Keast's doorstep which said, My son has been murdered. He also erected a marble carving in the cemetery where his son was buried. It was a carving of his son's head and shoulders which stood 5 feet 4 inches tall which was the same height as Jack. Now you can clearly see this father's heartbreak and despite all his efforts, a public inquiry never happened. He had made a pledge that he would die fighting for this and it appears that this had an effect on his mental health as he ultimately died in a psychiatric hospital. And then, just four years ago in 2016, it was the 80th anniversary of the tragedy. A group of villagers got together in the town where it happened and spent hours discussing the details. One of those men was the grandson of one of the rescuers and he said, To this day we're still amazed that those children were sent out so lightly clad. Nobody here sends their kids outside without anything on their heads in April. Another man was a teacher himself and he said, As a teacher, I would not have been able to live with myself if it had happened to me. I'd surely have thrown it in after that. This teacher spent more than a decade researching what happened and locally it had been referred to as the Englander Ungluck or Englishman's Misadventure. He noted, I was struck by the fact that there is only one version of this story that had been kept alive over the decades, and that is the legend of an unavoidable death in a freak blizzard. And as we've seen, it wasn't an unavoidable death in a freak blizzard. The teacher made lots of mistakes, but all of the official documentation at the time made it appear as if it was just an accident. The teacher presented his research in the Hoofsgrund Hall on the afternoon of the 80th anniversary. In attendance were villagers, but also some of the survivors' relatives. One of these was the 66-year-old daughter of one of the survivors. Here is what she said. My father told us little of his experience on the mountain, but he often told us of the kindness of the Hofsgrund people and the help they gave without thought for their own safety. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And here is some more interesting information that I found. In the town of Freiburg, where this happened, 
There is a theatre which is planning to show a production next year in 2021, which will mark the 85th anniversary. Isn't that wonderful to hear that what happened to those poor boys is not being forgotten and it's almost been a century later. So here are my thoughts on this whole thing. As a teacher myself, I have to condemn the teacher in this story as he was responsible for the death of those students. He was warned not once but multiple times not to continue by the local people who knew the mountain and the conditions. He should have taken their advice. So his cockiness and confidence resulted in the deaths. If he was on his own, then fine, keep going. But he had 27 boys in his care. As we have seen in other episodes on this podcast, issues of safety and procedures on school trips were very lax in the past. So perhaps the teacher can be forgiven, as that's just how it was back then. But putting school protocols aside, even if they hadn't been a school group, the person or people in charge should have used basic common sense. He did so many things wrong. The lack of adequate clothing, repeated warnings, lack of food, and planning a lengthy trip. And he also didn't even have the right sort of map. If you go somewhere outside of your country, you need to have proper maps from the actual locations where you are, because they will be the most accurate. So it seems to me that he was an experienced outdoors person, a skier, so he was confident in his abilities. But those children didn't have the same level of experience and totally relied on him. And it was also interesting to read the press reports of the incident, which really served to perpetuate the propaganda. Headlines such as Black Forest Tragedy, Boys Blizzard Battle, Saved by Church Bells, Master's Effort to Save His Boys, Rescue Dash, etc. So I can understand how people were fed and accepted the version of events which portrayed it as a tragedy due to the extreme conditions, when in fact the teacher did much that was wrong and very irresponsible. I also don't agree with the boy's father, who stated that Keist seemed to have a dislike for Germans, which is why he refused their warnings. Keist taught German himself and decided to organise a large trip to Germany. So why not go somewhere else if that is how he felt? I also read that Keist had written some letters about what happened, and in one he wrote, And after I lay down last night, I could not help saying that in spite of everything, I had had the happiest day of my life. Well, what exactly does that mean? How can you use the word happy in the context of such a tragedy? And I was also revolted at the politics involved, which is why I totally loathe politics. It's a dirty game and everyone looks after their own interests. How they used those dead boys was disgusting. And I just can't believe how many stories that I've told about school trips that have ended in disaster. But this story was given to me by one of our Facebook group members, Kate Much. She also gave me another story that I covered. And I have other stories to come that people have found for me. So thank you so much to Kate and all of the rest of you for your stories. This is what I love about this podcast. It's a collaboration. So if you have any stories, I'd love to see them. So now let's preview the next episode, 
it's called Blue Whale and SOS. The teenagers played an online game called Blue Whale. What happened? The student handed her teacher a note. What did it say? And to end this episode, I will leave you with this quote. Education's purpose is to replace an empty mind with an open one. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.